If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them, grab your device. If you don't have a Bible, but you have a Bible on your device and you go to the ESV version, we're going to turn to Psalm 13 this morning, Psalm 13. So we're, uh, we're about four sermons in, in a six sermon series uh, through the Psalms and we're calling it Psalms at Summer's End. The reason why we're calling it that is because we're at the end of summer and we're going through the Psalms. Uh, we're not trying to be clever or anything here. Um, but what we're really looking at is some of the ways that the Psalms speak into what we might be experiencing as we are heading into the fall and as school is kicking back in, our schedules are, are getting back into their routine. It surfaces a lot of things in our lives and the Bible speaks into those things that are surfaced and surfacing in our lives and really specifically the Psalms um, give us some categories for how we are to approach God when those things are hitting at us. And the Psalms also teach us that we have freedom to approach God and that um, we don't have to front, we don't have to play, we don't have to be so polite um, when we go before the Lord because he knows what's going on before we even speak a word to him. Psalm 139 tells us that before even a word comes out of my mouth, before a word is even on my tongue, you already know what it is. So we're bringing things to God from the depths of our heart that he is already aware of, but he still calls us to come and bring those things uh, before him. So the Psalms teach us how to do that. They give us, in a sense, permission to do that. They, they help us feel the freedom to do that and to start seeing God for who God is, that he, yes, he is all powerful. Yes, he is all holy. All those things are true about him. But for those of us who are called his people, we also have a lot of grace and mercy and opportunity and open doors to come before God and lay our souls bare. The Psalms help us do that, which is why it's good for us occasionally to go through a series in the Psalms to remind us of that. So growing up, uh, man, our family vacations looked like outtakes from Chevy Chase movies. And, it's, and I'm not exaggerating, the joke was that no matter where we attempted to go, we'd always end up in a cheap motel somewhere in the middle of the desert. And that's how they always ended up. Um, one year in particular, we drove all the way to Six Flags, which was a big theme park, which was just a couple, like hours away up north. And when we got there, it was closed. It was closed, right? Um, if you talk to my mom today, she'd probably make the excuse that we didn't have, you know, the internet back then to figure these things out. Of course, I remind her that we did have telephones, mom. They, those things were invented uh, back then. Um, what hadn't been invented were iPads and portable entertainment centers, right, that exist in the back of, of our vans now. It was like the stone ages of vacation travel back in those days, right? So in boredom, me and my siblings would ask, how much longer, how much longer, right? And we would get all these brilliant, out of the box answers like, we'll get there when we get there, right? And you just need to be quiet. And all those kind of answers that, I don't know if my parents thought they were being clever, but they were really unhelpful, you know, for kids of our age that were really impatient. At some point, all of our complaining would be met with silence. That was it, no more answers to our questions for how much longer. We just had to trust them to get us wherever we were going. And I want to start out a little lighter because we're gonna be kind of plunging the depths a little bit this morning as we dive into Psalm 13. We're gonna be talking a little bit about silence 
and those moments when we feel like God is silent in our lives. And silence is so difficult for us, isn't it? Like any kind of silence is something that we, we struggle with. We were, uh, our daughter Beth's in town. She taught us how to play uh, triple solitaire because we're a family that lives on the edge. And uh, you know, we, we play the hard games in the Martin household. Um, at one point, we're just sitting there and there's no music playing, it's quiet, the cat is not making a sound. And she said, it is so silent right now. Like, the, the silence feels oppressive. She said, if somebody were to walk in and just see us with our head down, playing triple solitaire with this much intensity, with no other sound in the house, like, they would wonder what was wrong, you know? But the silence was, was deafening, right? It was so hard. And that's how silence plays out in our life sometimes. Silence can sometimes be the loudest thing in our lives. It can be deafening in some ways. And Psalm 13 deals with something much more serious than the, the story that I opened up with. Um, and even the triple solitaire. Today we're going to read um, a song and a prayer from David. And this is David, King David, where he feels like his... His prayer to God is being uttered in a vacuum. He just feels like God is, is, is not even there to hear and to receive his words and that he has not been in existence anywhere surrounding his life. David feels abandoned as we get here into Psalm 13. David is lamenting, and this would be considered what we would call a psalm of lament. And one of the things that's great about the Bible is that it gives us space to lament. It, it provides lots of space when we read the Psalms, when we look through scripture where people come before the Lord and they grieve and they lay out all of their stuff before the Lord in every conceivable human and honest way possible. They just put it out there. They say, God, here's where I'm at. Here's what's going on. And by the way, where are you? And why aren't you fixing this? And why aren't you giving me an answer to assure me and allow me to believe that things are going to be okay. David is, is in this moment. He's lamenting because it feels like God has gone into silent mode in his life. He asks a really important question that honestly couldn't be more relevant for us in 2022, which is how long, O oh Lord, how long? Of course, we're not sure what the trouble here is with David. We're not given all of that information. But his words tell us that whatever the problem, it goes deep. It goes deep with this brother. And this is what we want to dive into. This is the question we want to unpack, which is, how is God's perceived silence broken between him and David as we read through this psalm? Let's just pick up in verse 1, Psalm 13. And it says this, How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt 
bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord through David. And what we see here as we dive into 13 is that he makes four complaints to God, four accusations, if we want to use that kind of terminology, and I think we can, I think we should. David makes four accusatory complaints to God. The first one is this, how long will you ignore me? Have you ever said that to God? Why are you ignoring me? Are you ignoring me? Have you forgotten about me? Being forgotten or believing that you've been forgotten by anybody can feel crushing. And what we see here is that it's so dramatic for David that he describes it as forever. That's how it feels for him in that moment, whether it's true or not, and it's not true. But he says, will you forget me forever? Are you ever going to come back into a place where I can detect, I can feel, I can acknowledge, I can know your presence? Will you forget me forever? This is a brother whose grief is so great that he can't see any end to it. He can't see or visualize or anticipate that moment where God is going to come back and he's going to feel some sense of reassurance and security. How long will you ignore me, David says, as he goes before the Lord? He also says, how long will you remove or keep your presence from me? Kind of the same, you know, different side of the same coin. I probably got that phrase wrong, but you guys know what I mean. We also remember Jesus on the cross crying out to God in that moment before he finally passed into death. And he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are moments where you and I feel like God has totally removed himself from our lives. How long will you hide your face from me? I feel like I'm somebody who is seeking your face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Remember that song. David has said, how long will you hide your face from me? I, I can't feel the presence and the favor and the blessing of your eyes upon me. Because everything in my life feels like you have exited. If God promises to be with us, why does it feel like he's so far away sometimes? We also know that when pain and fear and anxiety have hit extremities and they become close, it can create the perception that God is further away than ever. Our pain creates a gap. It creates kind of a mirage, right? Kind of a barren wasteland between us and God where the perception is that he's not there and he has removed himself. David is feeling this deeply right now. He feels it as deeply as you and I have ever felt it. David says, how long will you ignore me? How long will you remove your presence from me? He says, how long will you be silent? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David is saying, why are you answering my suffering with silence? Why are you answering my suffering with this sense of abandonment that I can't shake? Why aren't you removing the thing that is causing this grief? Then he finishes in these four complaints, these four accusations, by saying, how long will you let my enemies 
be elevated above me. These people that don't follow you, these people that haven't been faithful to you like I have been, why are they the ones that feel closer to me than you are? Why are they taking precedence in my life right now? And this is not an insignificant question for David. And he, by the way, his enemies were, were enemy enemies, right? I mean, these were not like mean comments being thrown at him on you know, social media, right? Which is a real thing, not discounting that. But these were men who wanted to end his life. So when David talks about enemies, he's talking about like a physical threat. People that are conspiring against him. They want to end his life. They want to end his rule and reign over the nation of Israel. So David makes four complaints to God. He's, in a sense, he's accusing God of why is my life turned into this particular situation? And by the way, where are you? Categorically, in these four different ways, where are you in this? It really tells us something about how honest that we can be as we go before the Lord. We've been talking about this all the way through this series in the Psalms. How honest are you with God? A God that already knows the words you're going to think before you think it. Already knows the words you're going to say before you say them. And yet we feel like we got to sort of back away and we got to be kind of polite. We got to hold it close to the vest. David makes four complaints. He says, how long, O Lord? And then he makes three demands we see here. Or he makes three petitions of God. He said, listen to me. He says, consider in verse three and answer me, O Lord, my God. Listen to me, he says. I just need you to listen. I need you to give me your ear. I need you to receive my words. I'm feeling things right now. I'm full of angst. He's saying, don't let your heart be kept from me. I'm pleading with you right now. He says, listen to me. And then he says, answer me. Light up my eyes. Give me some illumination. Remind me of whether you're still there or not. Help me through this season. Don't forget my faithfulness. I am still your servant. I am still serving you as the king over the nation of your people. And then he says, help me. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Don't let my enemies rejoice over me because I am so shaken. Because I'm not myself. Because I'm full of doubt and I'm full of insecurity and I'm full of unbelief, and I'm full of so much angst. David is saying, let me see clearly. Re-illuminate my eyes. Don't let me sink to the depths of despair any longer. Don't let my enemies claim victory. Many times, as we see through the Old Testament, the prayers of the kings and the prophets is, don't let the enemies see me sink into despair, sink into defeat, because what would that say about you? God. So in a sense, it's almost accusatory in that sense. And that's the tone of David here. So full of angst, so full of questions, so full of wondering. Then we get to verses five and six. And we see this really amazing and immediate turnaround. Because David makes four complaining, accusatory comments to God. 
Then he makes three petitions. He pleads to God. And then he finishes in verses 5 and 6 by making three declarations to God. But I have trusted in your steadfast love and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's a pretty quick turnaround. Like there's not, a, there's, there's not like an intermission in between, you know, verses 4, 3 and 4, right? Between verses 4 and 5. He doesn't take a break there in the song. He doesn't go off and like have like this really long middle section in the song before he gets to the chorus. I'm speaking as a musician now, right? He immediately steps through his grief, through his angst, through his accusations at God for abandoning him and being silent. And he says this. He makes three declarations to God. He trusts in the enduring quality of God's love. In the midst of all the stuff that he is throwing at God, he says, I, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice. He trusts in the enduring quality of God's love. This is how he's finishing this short song, this short prayer that he wrote. He rejoices in being rescued by God. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. There's something bigger going on here than even the stuff that I'm throwing at your feet with everything that's happening to me, with everything I'm experiencing. And then he sings of God's gracious treatment of him. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Like 14 seconds earlier, it didn't sound like he thought God was dealing bountifully with him. And so what we do here as we read Psalm 13, as we read all these Psalms, is we see the complexity of human beings. Oh my gosh. I mean, how can David simultaneously be throwing all this stuff at God and then literally without even taking a breath in the same prayer, in the same song saying, but I have trusted, I will sing. How can David even, even do that? Charles Spurgeon, famous pastor from the, from the 19th century, said David's heart was more often out of tune than his harp. He begins many of his psalms with sighing and ends them with singing. And that's what we see here. He begins with a sigh. He ends with a song. And we don't want to miss what happens here because even before David's pain is resolved, there's no resolution there. We don't, we don't, get, we don't get this sense that these four accusations and complaints that David makes at God, all of a sudden those needs were, like he got like the, he got the facts in at that time saying, hey, these things are covered. So now you can move to verse five and verse six because everything's cool. That's not what we see here at all. Even before his pain is resolved, God jolts his memory. God jolts his memory. There's no gap here between David's despair and his declaration. It's stunning, actually, how quickly David's tone changes and his words move from total despondency to total dependence. Look where he goes in that. Put your eyes back down on verses five and six. Look what he declares to God. Your love has been steadfast. It hasn't wavered like all of my problems. It's been a straight line. It will continue to be now because I believe that. You have a track record of that, God. Your salvation has not been lost. 
in, in this perceived sense of silence I have from you. So I'm going to rejoice in it now, he's saying, because it's a rock. You've not withheld your blessings in the past, so I won't let my present predicament prevent me from worshiping you now. It's astonishing to see what's going on in David's heart. It's, it's kind of a little like Job. When Job said, after all these things had happened to him, all these things had happened to him, all these things had befallen him, all of this tragedy, trauma, de devastation from a man who'd been faithful to God and had not wavered. And Job says this, shall we receive good, good from God and shall we not receive evil? Like these are complexities that I can't work out. But here's what I can work out, God's character. God has a mind and a heart that is doing things that I don't understand. And I'm not going to give up what I know to be true about his character. And then it says about Job, it says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He didn't curse God. He didn't say, you know what? None of it must be true because all the bad stuff's happening. Job had a particular kind of wisdom like David. He had a particular kind of understanding about how life works in a world that is full of trouble. Does that make sense? So what do we do when it feels like God has gone silent? Like the way David perceived it here in Psalm 13. What do we do? How do we process that? Are we just supposed to get quick answers? Got to get that coffee mug? Want to get the t-shirt that just lays it out? That just gives us that positivity that we want? That's not super effective? Where do we go when it seems like God is silent? When it seems like all the stuff is breaking down? It's all evaporating. What do we do when it feels like God has gone silent? Just a couple of thoughts. God's silence is his way, I think, many times of waking us up. His silence is his way of waking us up. We, we have the tendency to ignore God until we need God. And then become angry when we feel like he's not listening to us at just the exact moment that we then decide that we need him to intervene. So sometimes God puts us in a place of silence. And this is how he silences the white noise that our idols produce for us. Does that make sense? So when we are looking at everything else around us to give us some sense of reassurance, to give us some sense of comfort, to give us some sense of control, we are looking at all these things, we are grasping and we are holding tight and then those things slip from our fingers and all the stuff that we need to do and maintain and the, all the exhaustion that, that takes that has to come out of us because it's like I'm grabbing this, I'm grabbing that, I'm holding this. I'm doing everything I can because I don't want it to be silent. I don't want to face who I am. I don't want to face the things in my life that are actually breaking down. What do we do? God says, well, 
I'm going to get you to a place where I'm going to declutter your soul. And I'm going to remove some of that white noise so that you actually have a heart and a head that can hear what I have to say in my word. Because all those other things are just idols in your life that are threatening to replace me. And they've made it so that silence and the ability to stop and pause and listen to my voice feel burdensome and scary and uncomfortable to you. Because God is good, it means that his silence or our perceived silence of him is good too, right? It causes us to wake up from our apathy to become aware of the state of our own hearts. Say what you want about David, but, he, but he's not complacent here. He's aware of his need. He's aware of the only one that can fill his need. Uh, a guy named Adam Young, who's a counselor, biblical counselor, he, he made this comment. He said, have you ever poured out your anger to God before you edit it to make it nice? So when we are in the place that David is in and it feels like God has gone silent, it allows us that moment to finally not edit our anger and our grief and our angst before him. But it's his silence or our perceived sense of his silence that allows us to wake up to that. Secondly, God breaks his silence to us whenever we open his word. Whenever we open his word. I had a friend of mine that said, if you ever want to hear God speak audibly to you, just read the Bible out loud. Because that's the way God speaks to us, right? I don't have a new revelation for you. You're never going to hear me say, well, God spoke to me last night and said, these are the kind of donuts we need to have in the cafe. And I'm pretty invested in that, by the way. But if you ever hear me say that, you need to be cautioned. That should be a flag for you. Everything God has to say for us is in his word. This is the revelation. This is what it is. God breaks his silence to us when we open his word. And this passage reminds me that although we may be people of faith, our faith can become so easily dislodged from God. We need to be reminded of what's true. There's a reason why you come here on Sunday besides the fellowship. Besides, because that's what people do, good people, they go to church on Sunday. Besides, man, we found a church home and we like it. It's fun to be with people. That's good too. But there's another reason why we all gather together. And it's to be reminded of what is true. And not just what is true, but who is true. You know, when we haven't heard from our friends in a while, we can start to wonder if they're still our friends. What's lacking in those moments? Just connection, just relationship. And when we lack that connection, our minds start to wander into all kinds of dangerous places. We start to reinvent who God is. We start to create God in our own image in the sense that we start thinking, well, he must not be that. He must be that based on my experience of him. David shows us that his silence breaks 
when we open his word and we hear his heart. We need to reconnect with God. John Calvin said about this passage, he said, if David had not been persuaded that God had his eyes upon him, it would have availed him nothing to cry out to God. But this persuasion was the effect of faith. So we open God's word to break that perceived silence. And in that moment, we are activating our faith. We're saying, God, I want to hear from you. And this is, I know what you've given us to hear your voice and to instruct us and to comfort us and to convict us. What we know about the silence of God is that he's, he's never really silent. God has spoken words that resonate from the past, all the way to the present, on to the future. Like David pointed out, his steadfast love, his salvation, the generous ways he has dealt with us, they're always speaking loudly to us if we open his word and listen. It appears sometimes that God has forgot us at times. But I think he actually uses these moments to draw us back to what we may have forgotten about him. That his love is steadfast. His salvation is secure. And his care for us has been abundant. My worry is not that we complain to God, but that we complain to everyone but God. So one way I can encourage you all this morning is consider those things that are bothering you that have you laid low right now, things that you are constantly thinking about, angsting about, fearful about, worried about. Those things that you're constantly complaining to others about. And then do this, open your Bible, open to Psalm 13, go before the Lord, read the list, write it out. He invented pens and pencils too. Write it out. You're going to hear from the Lord when your Bible is open to his word. It's through his word that God has already broken his silence to us, the church. The other option is just to let it all stack up inside. But then when that happens, you start attributing things to God that aren't true, which is what we don't see happening here with David. When I was eight, uh, we moved into this crazy house that had this thing. I don't know if they have these anymore. You guys probably all have one, so I'm going to be just talking crazy right now. But we moved into this house that had a, a trash compactor in the kitchen. I don't know. It was the 70s. Um, it's just, so trash compactor, it's just an electric trash can that, that, that squashes the trash down so that you can get more trash in it. So you put it in this thing. It's like a drawer. You push it. You hit the button. It goes, you know, the whole thing. Um, eventually, after you put enough trash in it, that thing stops compacting. It stops compacting because there's too many layers in it. And we would always just, tr we literally would just do anything to keep, keep compacting that trash instead of taking it out to the larger trash bin, right? Some of us do that all the time with our pain and our suffering. We keep compacting it. 
We keep compacting it, we keep hitting the button instead of pulling it out and bringing it to the place that can contain it. Another quote from Calvin, he said, for unbelief is so deeply rooted in our hearts and we are so inclined to it that not without hard struggle is each one able to persuade himself of what all confess with the mouth that God is faithful. The struggle is real, right? And that's why we come before the Lord with lament. We come before the Lord and open his word to hear his voice, to break that silence. Why we sing sad songs. We just sang Lord and sorrows deep I call. I don't know, that's just not a big, you know, snappy, you know, cheery song. Do we do that because we wanna be like the most oppressed church in town? Ronnie, you didn't answer that quick enough. Do, do we or don't we? We don't. We do it because God has given us space to wrestle, space to process. There's a place for doubt. There's a place for questioning in the Christian life. To cry out and to complain to God for answers. Here's what I want to leave us with as you turn to Psalm 77. Go ahead and do that if you would. Hard right, all the way to Psalm 77. The question is, do we go back to God as quickly as David? Because I think most of us go elsewhere. I know I do. I know that we are not as childlike as we once were in our faith. Even if we are new to our faith. You know that childlikeness? You know, like when you first stop as you run to your parents when something is wrong. I know that's not everybody's experience depending on your parents. But speaking from a general sense, that person in your life, if it's a parent or a sister or a brother or an aunt or an uncle, somebody who had you, who held you, who assured you, who comforted you, do we go back to God as childlike and as quickly as David did? Look what it says in Psalm 77. It, it really, it really kind of speaks the words of David here and unpacks it and kind of fleshes it out, fleshes it out a, a little deeper. It says in verse one, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. Notice the parallels here in this psalm. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. We could keep reading on and on. 
Let's appeal to God today, to the years that his right hand has held us up individually and as a church. Remember his deeds. Remember his wonders. Ponder, meditate on his work and his deeds. Find a way to clear away the white noise of your life. Be honest. Stop pretending. Stop being a church that pretends. We don't have to pretend. Because David didn't pretend. We don't have to pretend. More significantly, because Jesus didn't pretend. Luke 22, Father, if you're willing to remove this cup from me, remove it. No answer from God. No answer. But nevertheless, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. How does David end this song? He ends it with these three words. I will sing. I will sing. It's all falling apart around me. Nothing has improved. It is all a wreck. I will sing. That's not like triumphant. I don't know what David had to deal with after this. I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what got worse after this psalm for him. That's not a coffee mug slogan. I will sing and everything's repaired. That's resolution for what is true based on the person and character of God. And in our case, because it's all these years later, his son Christ. Amen? He was resolved to remember that God had not abandoned him. And the good news is that God has dealt bountifully with us. And he has not abandoned us. And he's proven it through the sacrifice and suffering of Jesus. He has spoken loud and clearly to you by sending Jesus to sacrifice for you. Jesus is the greatest example in the history of the world of God breaking his silence with us. David and the psalmist, what they had to look back on was their deliverance from Egypt, which was massive. They had to look back at that to be reminded of God's faithfulness to them. We look back to the fulfillment of that deliverance. We look back to what that original deliverance from Egypt was a shadow of, which is Jesus Christ and the cross. And that is where we find salvation by no other person if we confess our sins and we put our trust in him. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you that you've broken your silence with us through the work and person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that truth this morning. And Lord, as we practice now uh, that moment uh, in the life of Jesus that has created this moment for the life of the church, God, would you nourish us, remind us of your love, draw us to repentance, 
And Lord, walk with us so that we experience your words and your presence as we open your word and as we are reminded of your faithfulness to us and your abundance to us over and over again, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.